Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Okay, everybody, we have to take a break for our sponsor. And to start it off, we are so, so excited about the Janus products and far as Noki and what is going on in the industry. Everybody knows Janus for their metal fabrications. And if you don't, you should. They are the biggest in the industry, but a lot of people don't know about the Noki product, which is the keyless entry system. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast. You got to go check it out. This is the wave of the future. We're building out and we use their product in our facilities across multiple states, including our office buildings that we're turning into storage, Kmart's new builds, ground up, because the new product that they've had for expansion allows you to put this product on your doors without running power. Obviously a huge one. So when you're talking about refurbishing and value add, attaching the Noki product onto the doors without running power is a big deal. And a battery, you think, oh, I don't want to be changing batteries constantly. They last like three years. And so you can put them all on the same schedule. Every two plus years, you just go change them all out. It's quick, easy. It's a touchless entry system that can connect with your gates. You can see everything that's going on. It adds more security, ease, and it increases your market of potential customers. It's in our show notes and on our website. You can go Go to selfstorageincome.com, click right there on the front page. It's got Janice, and of course, tell them we sent you, everybody. Thanks. What's up, everybody? A break from our sponsor. And, you know, I've mentioned this a few times, but I got to mention it because I asked this sponsor to join us. That sponsor is Live Oak Bank. We had a lot of people that wanted to be sponsors on our podcast, but we wanted to bring a lot of value to you guys. And Live Oak Bank is one key because of the financing portion. They're all over the United States. They specialize in self-storage. And especially for you guys trying to get in and you don't know how, they offer SBA loans and they're amazing at it. They get rid of a lot of the hassle, struggle, and they know the product. They're focusing on the business plan. They're focusing on the asset and what's going to happen in self-storage. They become a partner, not just a vendor. That's why I wanted them on, and that's why I chose them. This was something we struggled with when we first started in the industry, was financing, particularly in some of the markets that I was going into and doing value add. Banks weren't excited. This was 15 years ago. I wish I had Live Oak Bank as a resource. We're happy to have them now. Terry was on the podcast. He's coming back on the podcast here soon. You got to go listen to his Terry Campbell's podcast. It's amazing. Reach out to him, selfstorageincome.com or in the show notes. It has the sponsors contact. Tell them we sent you and get out there and get it done. 
Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. I could not be more excited about today's podcast because 2020 is gone in the rearview mirror. And I'm going to talk about today investing in 2020. And today's guest is Rob Laban, and I met him on Twitter. And I was reading about his acquisitions and what he's doing in the self-storage space in the middle of the pandemic and crisis. And I thought this is a great spin to take on for the first of this year, a look back at somebody that got started when I think most people ran away. So with that, let's just bring him in and we got to get this conversation started because I'm so excited about it. How's it going, man? Great, AJ. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. You know, um, me and you, we could, you know, it's hard to even get this thing rolling because I could just sit here and talk shop all day. Uh, <laughs> total, you know, total self-storage nerd. And I and I was so interested in what you were doing on Twitter and your timing of it all really kind of set it apart. And, uh, um, you know, why, before we even get into that in the self-storage side, you got to give me give us some background of the industry you're in, because t- yeah. to be honest, I've never interviewed anybody on either one of my podcasts that are coming from your background. So that's very interesting to me. Gotcha. Yeah. So I grew up in the grocery business. My great, great, great grandfather sold meat from a horse and buggy over a uh, hundred years ago. And uh, so I'm technically a sixth generation butcher. And um, in 1962, my great grandfather and grandfather founded the current corporation that we run, which today is uh, four supermarkets in Connecticut. And we have over 420 employees and uh, the four stores. And this year we'll probably do over, or we did over 50 million this past year. And it was a crazy year due to the coronavirus. Um, But how this relates to self-storage is as I was growing up, we never owned any of our real estate and we still don't. We pay over a million dollars a year in rent, which is painful. And my grandfather has always told me like, if you get the opportunity, buy real estate, buy commercial real estate. So to where this leads into self-storage is in 2016, my then girlfriend, now wife and I were renting an apartment in the town that we live in now. And the property was right next to a self-storage facility. And every day after work, my dog and the owner at the time of the, self, of the self-storage facility's dog would play every day in the field in between our two buildings. And uh, we kind of hit it off. He was like this 70-year-old Vietnam War vet, really cool guy into hunting and fishing and all that stuff. So we had mutual interests. And uh, I told him back in July of 2016, I said, hey, if you ever want to sell this thing, let me know. I, I've always dreamed of buying commercial real estate. At the time, I knew nothing about self-storage. And, um, over the course of a couple of years, I'd bug him every once in a while, send him an email, you know, stop in the storage business and talk to him. And, uh, it was, I remember right before Thanksgiving in November of 2018, I noticed his website was broken. And I said, Hey Dave, uh, you know, I noticed your website's broken. Let me build you a new one. I'm not going to charge you. Just pay for the hosting. I'll, I'll take care of it for you. And that kind of like rekindled this conversation again of me buying him out. And he had just bought out his sister's half of the company. And he goes, you know what? Make me an offer. We'll see what we can do. And I did. And uh, on March 5th, 2020, I bought the facility. And a week later, the whole world shut down. What, 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 yeah. What month was that in 2020? <laughs> uh, March 5th, 2020 was my closing date. And then a week later, everything turned upside down. Now, t- 
there okay there's so much that we have to yeah unpack there. here but um first of all uh the it's 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 weird because the grocery business is near and dear to my heart not in a way hmm. that you might uh be in a different way because i uh grew up in the insurance business so we provide group medical benefits and one of our main um, sectors that we did were for groceries and mm -hmm. Albertson's super value were our clients. And yep. so we worked through the transition of the, the kind of the fall of Albertson's when, um, it got taken over because Albertson's was, is based and founded where I live. And, mm -hmm. um, then they came back from a handful of stores after selling everything over to super value, they came back and ended up just taking everything back over. They took the worst wow. performing stores. So the, the private equity company that bought um, Albertsons said, there's these like, whatever it was, 20 stores, right? You're talking about these companies are billions, right? Yeah. Like, these 20 stores, they suck so bad. We don't even want to buy them. And so hmm. the core old guys that started up, Albertsons like kind of really brought it up. They said, we'll take these separated off. And then the big private equity dude that was under um, uh, Jack Welch from GE came, took over Albertsons. Long story hmm. short, he's hated here where we live because he basically destroyed the old Albertsons. And the guys that were left with these old 20 stores that the private equity company didn't even want because they sucked so bad, those 20 stores were thriving. And hmm. so what happened was then he left, took a golden parachute, a hundred million dollar payout <laughs> as, the, as the company just went down in flames. The, another private equity group came, bought those 20 stores, went back and repurchased the entire thing at pennies on the dollar. Wow. They brought it back from nothing. Then they went, then they went over and bought super value, the original hmm. buyer. So it's like, for us, it's like in business, it's the comeback story of the, like the century, right? We're all like, yeah, this is amazing. But they that were our amazing. clients and we helped them go through. And you're talking, you know, you're talking about self-funding, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that we worked with these, these companies over, over this period of time. And I love the grocery business because it is a penny business. And mm -hmm. you have to be good at operations. You can't be lazy. And I love that. I love that competition. I love the idea that you don't just get to make big mistakes. It's not like tech mm -hmm. where you can make a multi-billion dollar mistake and brush it off. You do that in the yep. grocery business, you're over. And that's how I apply business and I look at self-storage is I say, no, this is a penny business. We're going to get it right. We're not just going to live off the margin. We need upside and we need to know where we can get it. We have to analyze all these uh, revenue sides. So um, I've been so excited about this interview because I just <laughs> want to get my love of the grocery store business coming yeah. from an insurance side which is nothing like yours, but coming from a city, Boise, Idaho, which is the fastest growing metro area in the United States, which was mm. all but built from the grocery store business. So wow. here we are big fans of, of that business. And what happened during the pandemic to you guys in that business was so intriguing to me because it seemed also as I relate that to storage, because we own online businesses too which is an interesting subject for you. We purchased an online business for 250000 in uh, right before 2020. Like we closed yep. in December. Um, within six months, we, we were doing over 100000 a month 
in wow. that with making very few changes. So the coronavirus changed a lot, obviously, for obvious reasons and impacted business. But two, the fear that took over people in the market was astronomical. And you just continued to plow through and you closed this deal. But I'm, I'm, I'm online here and what you're saying, I'm loving because you, you're, you hit on something that all my listeners, you have to listen to, you have to write this down. I say this time and time and time and time again, when people say, how do I find off, off market deals? It is about authentic relationships. Don't fake it. Don't just send a letter in and say, hey, I want to buy your facility and then wonder why the guy didn't sell it. Facilities <laughs> that we purchase off market, we knew the owner for years before we bought it. We knew who they were when they're in the hospital. We're sending them flowers because we knew them and their family. We went out to yep. lunch with them. We didn't just view them as a product to be bought. These were yep. human beings. And that right there, immediately when you said that, I'm like, oh, you, you, you know, you found a good deal. And you know it's yep. separated out. So before we unpack all of that, I want you to tell me the story about a deal that you're working on right now um, <laughs> and how you came to get this deal under contract because it goes – because that's so relatable to your first deal you did in 2020. So tell me a little bit. It's it's not done, so you don't have to share yeah. too much. But tell me at least how, you're, how, how you approach this because this was like yesterday, right? This is this is fresh off the press. So uh, this gets two days so ago, excited. yeah, two <laughs> days ago, I made uh, a handful of cold calls, and uh, one of the cold calls was to a facility that has no website, uh, zero presence online, you know. And uh, I called them. I called the business line, and their voicemail picks up, and it's just like pure static. Like you can hear some little rumblings of someone saying something in the background, but it's totally incomprehensible, and. Uh, so I'm like, all right, well, I'm not going to leave a voicemail there because who knows if they're even listening to it. But I happened to have Googled the owner's name and uh, I, I found his home phone number. So I'm like, I'm going to take a long shot. I'm going to call him as a concerned fellow self-storage owner and say, hey, so-and-so, uh, I just called your business. I was looking to chat about the industry and I noticed that you couldn't really hear anything on your voicemail. You may want to fix that. And by the way, I just love to talk shop. If you can give me a call back when you get a chance, uh, here's my number. And uh, a couple hours later, he called me back. I was in a meeting, so I didn't pick up. He left me a voicemail. He's like, hey, just got your voicemail. Uh, I'd love to chat. Give me a call when you get a chance. Here's my cell phone. So as I'm driving home that night, I call his cell phone. We end up chatting for like a half an hour. He's 80 years old. He's got uh, two kids who are out of state, no interest in the business. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a property that has so much potential. I get so excited thinking about it. And I said, you know, I'm actually going to be in your neck of the woods tomorrow. Do you mind if I stop by? He goes, oh, yeah, sure, stop over. And so I stopped by yesterday. We spent two hours together just kind of shooting the breeze. He drove me all around the facility. And it's like we're like best buds now. And um, it's, it's kind of the same thing that happened with the other facility that I bought. Is he was an older guy. We connected over mutual interest and, you know, no pressure. And I, I just want to be the one that if they want to sell, they think of me, but here's the kicker. I think this is what you were getting at that I told you earlier. I'm sitting there, he's at his desk and he goes, man, everybody wants to be in the self storage business. He goes, I get letters all the time. And he, he literally opens a drawer, takes out a stack full of papers that he's got one of those big metal clamps on and he flops it on his desk. The thing like hits with a thud. He goes, look at all these letters I got. He goes, here's one from a husband and a wife saying, Hey, we want to buy a self storage business one day. You know, please call me. Here's another one from this group. And he, he's never called any of them back. And I think I was the first one 
maybe, I don't know, maybe the first, maybe not to pick up the phone and call him and then just say, Hey, let's hang out. I'd love to meet you. And, uh, so I'm submitting an offer letter to him this week. That's I, I get so excited about this because, yeah. you know, it's interesting how many people are basically just waiting for the deals to come to them. And then they're frustrated. And then you have all the wouldn't it be nice people, right? They're like, oh, well, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, if I got that great deal? And you're going, do you know how much time and effort, you know, you have to put into networking, building your name, building relationships, being true to who you are, reaching mm-hmm. out, contacting to find those deals, and it's self-storage is a long game. This is commercial real estate. Real estate investing is a long game, right? I mean, yes, I want cash flow and I want it to pay me while I hold it. And But at the end of the day, your huge rewards comes years after as you've adjusted that facility, if you've increased the um, performance of not just the revenue, but the operations as that margin widens, as you take your money out and reinvest it and you get that compounding. So if you people, they're like, oh, yeah, I get the long term nature of real estate. And I'm like, but why don't you get that when you're trying to buy it? You, yeah. you understand that real estate's a long term game. But then you go in and say, well, I just expect somebody to email me the greatest deal in the world or find out on LoopNet. And that's just not how it works. And I mean, yeah. And I think I'm in a unique position because I don't need to do deals. Like I, storage is my side gig. My I still work full time in the grocery business. Um, Wait, you can work full time and still get into storage? <laughs> no way. I, I think you need to have some flexibility in your schedule because I, I, you know, the amount of nights I spent, you know, staying awake mm-hmm. till two in the morning building out the software and it's running. Like you always say, it's running a business. It is not passive real estate. When I bought my facility, it was a mess. Uh, you know, we filled six 30 yard dumpsters worth of junk that was in there of the previous owner's stuff. Um, it was all paper ledgers. He was using a 95 year old bookkeeper that made countless mistakes. Uh, prices were all over the place. There was no, it was just a mess. So the amount of administrative work I had to do, and I didn't have a team to do this. It was literally me. But the nice thing is I knew this deal was coming and I didn't, and I knew it wasn't going to fall through. So I had so much of the groundwork done, like the day I closed. So literally the day I closed, my new website was live. I hit the ground running. Everyone got an email who I had emails for, started making phone calls, getting people onboarded. And uh, so that was a big win for me because I had confidence in the deal going to close. So tell me this, how long did you have until you closed it? So you got the deal under contract. Why don't we talk more specifics about the deal? Now that yeah. we're having it, tell us about the the oh, so first of all, the deal itself, was there mm-hmm. upside? Why did you like it? And then how did you finance it and all that good stuff? Yeah. So let me start by saying I was so naive going into this. I, when I, when he said, sure, make me an offer, I literally went to Google and was typing in how to value a storage business. I had no clue. Um, I think it was Mike Wagner's video on YouTube about how he starts his valuations that I ended up using to kind of come up with a rough baseline but it didn't really work out well because the owner paid himself a salary. So the business really made like no money on paper. So I had to add back in stuff, add his salary back in and kind of come up with a net owner benefit, but I'll back up a bit. So it's uh, it, the building was built in the late sixties as a manufacturing business. It was his father's company. He built it. Um, It's in an amazing location in town. Uh, because he built it during a gap year in the town zoning. So it's located right next to the public library in a space where you could never build a self-storage facility today. 
And once they lifted the zoning for that one year to do some other big projects in town, his father just started digging and built this 20,000 square foot building and had, was grandfathered in after that. It's residential non-conforming. So it's in a, <laughs> a prime location. Um, it's a, it's five and a half acre property. I have 250 units all inside the building, but so they inside ran the building. Are they climate controlled? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, heated in the summertime. I have dehumidification. It's not air conditioned, but it never gets above like 80 degrees. Um, but so for 20 years, they ran it as a manufacturing company. Uh, in the late eighties, the owner's son had bought his father out. He saw where manufacturing was going in the U S and he sold all the manufacturing equipment and started building, building storage units inside. And over the course of like 10 years, he built out the 250 units that were all in there. Um, he ran it until, uh, March 5th of 2020 when I bought him out and, uh, the building has been the same for 40 years There's no expansion. And, uh, so I took it over. It was doing around 20,000 a month. I now have it up to 30,000 a month. Um, so, you know, increased the revenue by almost 50%. And that was a huge win right off the bat, but the even bigger win was on the expense side. So he was paying a bookkeeper like 40 grand a year who worked a couple hours a week. It was crazy. Uh, he paid himself a healthy salary. He had staff there six days a week from nine in the morning till 6 p.m. I now have staff there three days a week for a total of uh, 10 hours a week. So uh, totally reduced expenses. And, and I've, I've at least doubled, if not close to tripled the value of the business from what I paid for it. That's awesome. And it's only been 10 months. And in 2020, when the economy was shut down. Yeah. Yep. That's so, fantastic. Going back over the timeline, close March 5th. Uh, I was originally supposed to close like five months earlier, but just, you know, due diligence, headaches, an owner who wasn't that motivated to get moving on things. And um, my wife and I had a vacation schedule to go to Aruba. So the day after we closed, we go to Aruba and, uh, you know, the owner was kind enough to stay on. He ran the place for me. I was like, here's the new software you got to use. I gave him a crash course on onboarding customers and uh, we took off. And we were in Aruba. Uh, when we landed there, people were like, oh, you shouldn't go. You know, there's this whole coronavirus thing coming. It's going to get scary. We're like, ah, it's fine. Not a big deal. There's no cases in Aruba. The day we land, there's one case in Aruba. And the island, like, freaked out. People were rushing to the grocery stores. Like, oh, the guard geez. at our, our little place we were renting was like, you guys better go stock up on groceries in case you get stuck here. So we're freaking out that we're going to get stuck in Aruba. Yeah. We ended up, like, cutting our trip short. We were only there a couple days. Come back. Uh, I end up having, you know, Connecticut shuts down the day we come back. We're freaking out. Everyone's, you know, literally flying at peak craziness. You know, our stores go from doing, uh, you know, $20,000 a day. The grocery store is doing $20,000 a day to $80,000 a day with people panic buying. You know, there's no toilet paper left. So, and I'm trying to run this new business and our grocery business is as crazy as it's ever been. So what a year, but we got what through it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you know, it's it's interesting, too, that the relationship with the seller, how that helped you and how yeah. that that pulled you through. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, off market deals, they can be a lot like that, because especially when you're buying, I find that off market deals, you can be very surprised after you buy mm -hmm. it, at the things you find, um, you know, when a perfect example of this um, had Zach. 
on here a, a few times ago, and me and Zach had purchased a, a facility together um, in Kansas. We were talking about it earlier. Uh, great buy and everything. We go walk into the facility. My team comes in. There's three contracts, not even filled out correctly. Um, that's it. Out of 615 units, three, no more. So, a little bit of li- li- liability risk there. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> so we want to go in and we want to clean things up, but we don't even have contracts with tenants to clean things up. So you're talking, if we don't have contracts, you're talking, you can't do rate increases, right? We can't kick you out. We can't. So now we're going, okay, um, we got three people down here. We got to start getting all these tenants under contract. And what do they do when they just say no? And that's, that's part of the gig when you're looking at value add, right? That's part of mm-hmm. the gig when you're getting off market deals is that, uh, lots of times there's surprises, uh, yep. and lots of times you find units. We had one that we purchased, um, the beginning of 2020, and once we got it on, we found like there was like 20 units there. 15 of them weren't even being collected or rent. And all of a sudden you're going, which I like, like uh, my team's like, oh, this is horrible. I'm like, what are you talking about? That's 20 units that we didn't pay yeah. for. That's awesome. I'm like, yep. you know, clean that stuff out. And let's get them rented. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times that struggles where the profit is. Yeah. The same thing happened with the place I bought. The owner was occupying, I think, eight storage units at the time he still has six of them he's he's probably my largest single customer right now and our agreement was at closing he had to pay for any units that he was personally occupying um he had given free units away from people i had to fix that and um basically if people had been there for as long as they had been there he, he never raised rates on existing people so I had to take all these people and bring them up to market rates. There was over 120 rate increases that went out. And I, I waited a couple months to do this. I didn't do it right off the bat because, you know, coronavirus, yeah, it would have yeah. been very insensitive. So those actually didn't go out until uh, notice went out July. Price changes took effect in August. 120 price increases. The minimum increase was 20 bucks. Some people went up as much as $60 a month. Even uh, There was a few even higher couple that were just like, like they were given the wrong rate by accident and they were like the old owner never noticed. So, and I'm like, basically anybody whose increase was more than 20 bucks a month, I staggered it. So the, each month it would go up by 20 bucks until they got to the current rate. And out of 120 people, I had two leave. So you know, it, I, that was a beautiful thing. So many people are scared to do that. They're yep. scared to bring, rates up to market rent when you take over a facility and they plan it over a three or four year period of time. And when we, we had a facility that we bought, same thing. They were so substantially under market rates. It was the government that owned it. They didn't pay taxes mm. or anything else. It was a you know, bad deal. The government was a lot of people were very <laughs> upset. They were competing with normal business. So um, we purchased it, but you're talking our average rate increase was 66%. Some people got a 180% wow. rate increase, right? And we had two options. We can do this over multiple years, or we could do it all at once. And we took the latter. We're going to do it all at once because I thought it's just, do we want to be yelled at for three years or three months? So let's just rip the Band-Aid off off and do it. Um, And everyone thought we were crazy. And you go in people, you know, you do, you get people that are coming in and they're renting and, you know, I love it when they come in and they yell at you. I haven't had a rate increase in 10 years. And you're like, you're welcome. Congratulations. I, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. What do you want me to say here? Um, you're paying 60% under market rate, which is not fair yeah. to the uh, competition either uh, because the, owner, the previous owner. Uh, but we, we lost 15 
percent. Uh, right off the bat, three months later, we were at a higher occupancy than when we'd purchased it, and hmm. our revenue had doubled. Um, and that actually took care of all the problems in the facility. And that's another mm -hmm. thing people forget about. Like when you, you train your tenants and if you train your tenants to abuse you, they abuse you. Yep. They know they can, and they do. If you tra train your tenants to say, listen, you got to pay on time, just like all your other bills. You don't get to walk out of the grocery store and not pay and say, oh, yeah. listen, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll cover you another day. Yeah. And, you know, the tax man, you got to pay him. So we're just like any normal business that you need to pay. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I find that getting that taken care of immediately sets the stage for how the business will be operated moving forward. So good job yep. on that. I think that's a great one. Now, talk to me about your um, the online presence, the software, like the technology portion. What was going on in the facility before you, you purchased it? And obviously, you didn't need to do a ton of marketing because you didn't have any, hardly anybody leave or anything else like that. But uh, walk yep. me through kind of what that was looking like and, and what you were preparing for. Yeah. So when I took it over, he had probably 40 customers on recurring credit card payments that they would have to manually type into a credit card terminal uh, at the first of each month. And um, I'm now up to like 75% recurring payments on credit cards. So that's just a beautiful thing. Yes. I mean, first of the month, money hits the bank and I'm still collecting 50 or so checks a month, and uh, which is a pain. But uh, what I do is inevitably people end up paying late and they get hit with a late fee. And I'm willing, I, I usually put a little note on their bill. I'll say, you know, if you sign up for recurring billing, I'll drop the late fee. And that's like my incentive to get them over the edge. And I know there's pros and cons to that, but I'd rather eat that late fee and, and get them on recurring billing and never have to think about them again, which is a home run for me. Um, in terms of the technology stack, he had a website that I had built for him, you know, two years earlier, that was nothing great. It was just a simple marketing website. You couldn't do anything online. You couldn't you know, can maybe see unit sizes. There was no prices. And, uh, I ended up going with the easy storage solutions company. Um, what was great, like I said earlier, I, I knew the deal was going to close. So I had everything built out. I had all my templates set. My website was up and running before, um, he had given me access to his domain. So, and I come from a technology background, so I was able to handle all the backend it stuff, you know, forwarding his old domain, setting up the website to a T uh, you know, the email templates. And so I, I didn't need any assistance with that. And, uh, and, and now I probably, I probably spend on average four hours a week working on, on this, this facility. That's awesome. And what's the gross revenue? Uh, it's doing just under 30 grand a month right now. That's fantastic. And, but what's even more exciting is I'm full and I've been full and, um, I've got five and a half acres and there's plenty of room to build, but it's a tricky situation because it's zoned as residential non-conforming. So the town that we're in has this unique zoning process. It's called a, a planned development district, PDD. And what you can do is you can approach the town and you make a proposal saying the town has a need for this. The town clearly has a need for more self-storage. And I know we're not in a zone that currently allows this, but we would like to be granted a, a planned development district, which is essentially you get to write your own zoning regulation for your parcel of property. And if it got, has to go through planning and zoning and you have to submit a basic design plan and then that gets a preliminary approval and then you have to submit a detailed design plan. But once that gets approved, it's set in stone. So nobody could ever take that zoning restriction away from this parcel anymore. It's probably going to cost me, you know, 
25 to 35 grand to go through this process with architects and engineers and whatnot. But after that, just having that blessing to expand the building, and I'm going to ask for outdoor storage, more climate controlled storage. You ask for it all up front, you get the blessing for it. And then you don't have to go back to the building department every time you want to do these additions. So I can add another 12,000 square foot of climate control. I can add a whole roll of outdoor storage. I can do RV parking in the back and I don't have to go and stand in front of the town and beg and plead each time because it's all in there. So that's what I'm really shooting for is to expand this facility. I've got uh, like 15, 16,000 square feet right now. And I'm hoping to get it up to around 45, 50 by the time all the construction is done. Now, how much land's uh, part of it? Like five how much and a half acres. Five and a half acres. That's awesome. Yep. Yep. So the right now it's a 20,000 square foot building and the storage units are all inside the building. And there are these, these like three standalone blocks and they're all two story. Okay. So um, it's 250 units. Half of them are on a second floor. There's, there's no elevators. People, you know, lug their stuff up the stairs. And that's why my number one complaint, I guess, can you put an elevator in here? But you can't because they're all standalone yeah. inside this big building. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a home run for me. And I'm still very close with the old owner. We talk like once a week on the phone. Uh, and he's, he's always willing to help me out. Um, I gave him a ton of leeway. So originally in our contract, day one, he had to pay for his units. And he then had three months to clean out the rest of his stuff. And I say stuff yeah. with air quotes because we literally filled six 30-yard dumpsters of his stuff. Wow. 50 years of collected stuff in here. And one of the big value adds that I was able to do, there was these a bunch of extra large rooms that were totally just full of his junk that I'm now getting uh, 650 bucks a month for one of those rooms. Uh, there was this massive loading dock area that has all cleared out now. And I just uh, mailed a $25,000 check to Betco and I'm adding another 2000 square feet of small units, some larger ones inside the building with existing space that I'm reclaiming that was just totally underutilized before. So that should add another 40 grand a year once it's full. Wow. That's amazing. Yep. That's awesome. What a home run. So now yeah. tell me about this. You've had your taste and uh, you, you know, your experience and everything. What, talk to me about the future. What do you feel like, um, what are you doing in self-storage now that you've experienced now that you've, um, you know, kind of, you got another one you're excited about. What are your plans? So I think this is a unique opportunity in time. Uh, you know, 20 years from now, there's not going to be many small mom and pops left that have a lot of upside to acquire. So my goal is to, um, to access opportunities through relationships, just like I've done with the deal that I purchased and the one that I'm working on now. And I think that's my unique advantage is I'm not going to go send out a thousand letters to potential owners and be another one, uh, you know, that they toss in their desk or toss in the garbage. My plan is to, to go slow and quickly qualify people and to see if this is it's even worth considering. And if not cross them off my list, and move on to the next one. And my, the goal I put out there for 2021, I want to acquire three more facilities. So I'd love to have four by the end of this year. I think that's doable. Um, I have a few conversations that I've been having that are like pending and I feel like I'm going to be their first call when the time is right. So we'll see, you know, trying to make it happen, but I'm still working full time in the grocery business. Um, the grocery business is way more complicated than self-storage. Yeah. It, you can work 24 seven and never get caught up. Um, 
you know, we have 420 employees and it's just uh, so many different things to juggle. And uh, I, I'm going to try to do both as long as I can and just see where this year takes me. I love it. That's just fantastic, man. You know, this is, and I don't even like to think of it as a diversification, but um, how it always was for me, uh, you know, it was always self-storage was about financial freedom and it was about mm. uh, creating wealth for me and my family. And I like to tell people, you know, as you're looking at it, let's say you get one, two deals or whatnot, uh, that long-term perspective, and even if you don't ever do it again, what that does financially for anybody yeah. is just life-changing. Um, but plus you're laying the stones to build upon. And it's interesting seeing people at the first of the starting of their journey because it's mm -hmm. so, you know, when, when I got started, it was never in a million years would have yeah. thought that it would have been where it is today, obviously. It was like, I, no, I do insurance. Um, yep. But it's just exciting for me to hear about it and see you, especially with such a home run of a first deal. Uh, that's just awesome, man. I like, I've heard you say a few times that you don't know very many people who intentionally got into self-storage. It's like, it's almost always an accident. Yep. Um, I, I feel like, you know, with Twitter and all this attention on self-storage now, there's, there's a lot more people trying to intentionally get into it. But I mean, same thing for me, it was an accident. I was like, you know, when I bought this property, I was happy if, you know, it, it did enough in sales to pay the mortgage. You know, and I'm like, you know, I'm 25 years old in this thing and that'll be cool. Little did I know I'd be making over six figures a year in free cash flow out of this thing, you know. And it's like I bought it, and then I figured out, oh wait, there's so much more potential here. And I got to give a shout out to you know Mike Wagner, um, you know from the Storage Rebellion. He uh, his videos were were priceless for me in the early days. Um, Nick Hoover on Twitter, um, and um, the reason I found you is Zach quick joined the Twitter world and the real estate community. He started chiming in and I Googled Zach's name and I was like, Oh, he's been on this podcast. And I'd actually never heard of your podcast before that point. Mm -hmm. I, you weren't active on Twitter. So like you were yeah. part of my world and I'm like self storage income. This is cool. And I've just been like binging your content since then. And so there's so many amazing resources out there now. And like, you know, if I'm just so glad I found all this content, you know, now in the past 10 months versus like 10 years from now, because I probably would have never raised prices. I would have never optimized it the way I have. I wouldn't be thinking bigger the way I have. I've learned so much about valuing commercial real estate, uh, how to find deals, how to approach sellers, how to raise money. So like this next deal I'm doing, I can't do it all on my own. I'm going to need at least one, if not two LPs to do this. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm like, I feel confident making this happen now because of these amazing resources, which just blows my mind. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is. And it's funny cause it's true. All the, you know, people I know when, when I got started, there were no resources, none. Yeah. It was like, we got into storage cause we needed offset sales income with some kind of depreciation <laughs> and I didn't want yeah. toilets. And then you yeah. bought it and it's like, ah, oh, crap, we cut this thing by the tail. Now, what do we do with it? We hired a third-party management company, and we're like, they sucked. They ripped that thing down to like 50% occupancy. And we're like, well, let's figure out how to make this thing work. And then we mm -hmm. grabbed it and started making it. And it was like this eye-opening where we're like, whoa, yep. this is awesome. This could be yep. so much more. And so, you know, the same kind of thing. And then we started just going through it. You know, at the time, it was like we had to go and – you know, call people and pay tons of money to get people to mm -hmm. tell us anything. It was, there was yeah. no free open information, but right now the disposal, the tools and the resources uh, to accomplish the stuff, it is, it's, 
super excited. Are you still doing the insurance too? I own an insurance brokerage firm. Yeah. So it's, okay. side, it's kind of a side thing, but yeah. That, still that's now your side job. Yeah. That's yep. now my side job. Yep. That's cool. So I should probably talk about financing that first deal. Yeah. So um, there's a, definitely some lessons learned here. Like if I could go back and do things over again, I would have totally approached the financing differently because I had no idea how much value I'd be adding to this. And if I did, I would have taken some very short-term financing, added a bunch of value, and then refied into a longer-term thing. But uh, originally, I thought I would have to go owner financing, and he was open to that. Um, but I kind of wanted that clean break with him, you know, the yeah. clean delineation. So ended up getting an SBA 504 loan, uh, put 15% down, and um, no partner, so I own 100% of it. But I did borrow... A, a small percent of the down payment money from uh, some friends and family. And I'm, uh, they had to agree that this, you know, from the SBA's perspective, that this was a gift, like, you know, worst case scenario, they have to say goodbye to this money from the SBA's perspective, yeah. but I'm, I'm paying them back monthly at 5% interest. So like, cause I didn't, I was like, if I can do this on my own and own hundred percent, I want to do that. And I was able to, um, and, and I'm paying them back for the, um, the down payment money that I had borrowed from them. Uh, but I mean, my wife and I, we threw every penny we had to our name to get this deal done. And I was so nervous at first, but I talked to more people and they were all like, dude, this is a home run. Like you should be throwing every penny you have. At yeah. this. And, uh, so anyways, ended up getting the SBA 504 loan. So the SBA, uh, their portion is like 40% of the loan. And then my local bank is the other like 60% of the loan. Um, and the timing of this was um, kind of uh, uh, amazing as well, because I closed in March. Had I closed a month earlier, I would have missed out on the six months of free SBA payments. And I just heard word from my banker that I might be getting an additional five months to that. <laughs> so that wasn't the whole note. A lot of people think, oh, you got your whole yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. mortgage paid for. It was just the SBA's portion of it, which was like 40%. But still, it was still, like 2500 yeah. $2, bucks a month, which yeah. is which was awesome. And in addition to that, the, uh, the local bank portion, they didn't pay for it, but they deferred it. They put it on the back end of the loan. So I literally had no mortgage payment for six months, which allowed me to establish a really strong cash position. I've put a ton of uh, capital expenses into the building. I did a bunch of automation. I did uh, access control doors because it's, it's just two main doors that customers can get into the building. Um, so I needed that to be able to take the next step in reducing employees. So I got that done. Um, motion sensor lights throughout the building, uh, automated my alarm system. So it kicks on and off at certain times. And uh, that's what allowed me to really cut my expenses. And uh, it's it's been a home run so far. That's awesome. I love that creative financing, that mm. idea to, to, once again, I don't have the money, so I can't do this. So I'm going to pass it up. Um, you know, it just, it, it doesn't. It, it, that's not how the real world works. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the fact that you've just figured it out and got it done. And that's what good deals are all about. Yeah. You know, people looking for good deals, it kind of goes back to like we were talking about earlier, just waiting for it to show up in your email, right? That's not how it works. The amount of effort and time and figuring things out, working with sellers and banks and you know what I mean? You got to make it work. And yep. that's when the real home runs come out. Yeah. And like I was saying before, if I, if I had the knowledge I have now, I would have gone a different route. I would have taken, uh, I would have taken that seller financing and I would have put it on a 20 year amortization schedule with a five-year balloon. But I, you know, if I could do it over again, I, I would do that, 
run it for two years and then get the long-term financing Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, cash out refi at that point, it would have been a home run. You know, now I'm locked into an SBA loan. There's some prepayment penalty fees, but I'm still going to end up doing the the refi because it's worth Worth it with the value I've added. I'll pay the 3%, you know, who cares? You know, the biggest Um, thing, that's the biggest thing that I tell everybody when you're first doing the deal, don't get prepayment penalties. Work yep. and do. I will pay a much higher interest rate to avoid prepayment penalties, um, mm. because that is you know that that's the key to the value add strategy. And yeah. it, you know, we're you're always shocked. And we did this with when we first we were some of the first people to do um, um, CMBS loans in the Northwest when the mm. market started coming back, and we were really nervous about what was happening in the world economy at the time for these large assets because the world was really struggling. And so we, what do you mean by CMBS? Uh, CMBS, that yeah, yeah, that's a non-recourse loans. Uh, thanks okay. for bringing that up. So CMBS is when you take your debt, you collateralize it on the debt markets and they sell it off on bonds. It's called CMBS gotcha. markets. Um, yeah. And those are non-recourse to us. So you literally just hand the keys back if it goes under. And so we love it because we're saying, oh, we can have no risk. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were large prepayment penalties. And I looked at it and said, oh, it's OK, because we're at historic low interest rates. I'm like, there will never be a time when interest rates <laughs> yeah. are going to be under 4.5 or 5 percent interest. And this is, you know, yeah. 12 years ago. And I'm like, that's just oh never going to happen. And so what happens with CMBS loans is that the prepayment penalty is based upon the interest rate that you're paying. So if interest rates go up because you have to you have to give the bondholders back. Right. Mm. That payment. So you've got to you got to pay the spread. So we said, oh, that's not a problem because interest rates will only go up. Well, interest rates went down. So that means our, our prepayment penalty went in reverse and it mm. got really big because we had to pay the future interest rate off oh, that bond. Yeah. So yeah. all of a sudden we're sitting there going, that's a three hundred thousand dollar penalty, um, uh, which, you know, we never thought in a million years that would even matter. Because yep. first of all, we're like interest rates could never go lower. And two, we were shocked at the value creation of the asset. So we have three of our assets that we have 15 million sitting in that we get access to next year. And wow. uh, um, each one of those, the penalties is, you know, over $300,000 a piece. So it ended up being like $2.5 million in penalties. So we're like, oh, we'll just wait. Um, yeah. But those will be freed up. So, uh, you know, you do what you do and hindsight's twenty twenty, yeah. And you learn. And then from there, we said, okay, no more prepayment penalties yeah. because in two years, I may want to access that capital and that wealth. Um, yep. So I feel you there. You're like, ah, I wish I would finance that differently. But you, you got it done. That's all that matters. Yep. You got it done yep. and you learned. Like I say, my first deals, the value wasn't in the capital and the profit I made. The value was yep. in the education that I got. And then that compounded my returns thereafter. Yeah. you know, And I feel lucky that I was able to you know, turn this thing into what it is now. And like, even if I don't refinance it, it doesn't matter because it's, it's making good money and the value is there, whether I pull it out or not. Um, so it's just, you know, worst case scenario, I'll probably end up paying 20 grand in, in penalty fees, but it's, you know, if I could pull over a million dollars in equity out of this thing, who cares? Who cares? Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. That's fantastic. Yep. Well, hey, man, where can people go to find you? Thank you so much for telling us your experience coming on the podcast. Uh, it's been awesome. I just love talking shop, and we could do this all day. Uh, where know. do people go? Where Where should they they get a hold of you? Questions or find you? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I should say probably follow me on Twitter. This is kind of where this all came about. Um, it, you know, one quick story related to that. 
so I was in the dark on Twitter. I was in an anonymous account, you know, lurking on the sidelines, following all these interesting people. And I, I came out of the shadows to start sharing my small business story and, you know, the grocery business and all that. And I made this tweet about how I bought a self-storage business and became a millionaire three months later. And it was a thread, posted it, went to bed at night. Next morning I wake up, I went from like 200 followers to like 1,200. The next day it was like 2,000. And now I'm like on the cusp of 4,000 followers. And this one tweet that I posted in August was seen by over 1.7 million people. It just went absolutely bonkers. And it explains this story of how I bought the business, you know, the, the backstory about it, added the value and how that ended up making me a millionaire on paper three months later, just in the value add. And again, I didn't know this was possible until I started learning from folks like you that like, whoa, you can buy a business, make it more profitable. And then the value that you've added to it just multiplies dramatically. And it, it changed, changed my life. Yep. I'll so yeah, that. find me on Twitter at Rob Labon, R-O-B-L-A-B-O-N-N-E. Um, that'd be the best place to engage for sure. Awesome. Well, hey, man, thanks. And we, you know, I look forward to watching your journey and uh, uh, keeping in touch and, and seeing where you go. And we'll, we'll have you back on, you know, to give everybody an update here in a few years where, where you're at. Yeah, hopefully I've got some more deals to talk about. That's my goal. I said, I, I feel like, you know, I, I can't, I can just say this is luck right now. But, uh, you know, if I can close a couple more, I can start you know, being a little more confident in my process. Oh, how, how, how much you had to put into the deal. It definitely wasn't luck. It's not like you just got yeah. it, bought it and then it increased, you know, there was creative True. financing, everything else. So you're going to spot a lot more deals now that you've been through the process and you see that value. Yep. That's what gets really exciting. You're going to start poking around. You're going to be driving in every city. It's kind of like an, it's literally like a virus that now you, yeah. it's going to infect you and you're going to be like everywhere you go, Oh, there's a storage facility over there. I wonder yep. what that order is. Ask my wife. I, I'm infected for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep. that's awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, AJ. Take care.